From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. This is a special week on Lit Up. I'm appearing on another podcast called So Many Damn Books, hosted by Christopher Hermelin, and I'm having him on Lit Up to talk about how to break out of a reading rut. So a little bit about Christopher. He is a man of many talents. He's a literary agent at the Fisher Harbage Agency, where he represents some of the best contemporary novelists, including Meredith Westgate, who has been unlit up to talk about her novel Shimmering State. Christopher is also known as the roving typist. And if you live in Brooklyn, you might be lucky enough to see him sitting down with his typewriter, writing stories and poems for those people walking by. Christopher also has another talent, and that is making themed cocktails inspired by books. And when I was a guest on So Many Damn Books, he came up with the most delicious cocktail for me that involved a mini blowtorch and a smoky pineapple-infused Aperol. I love talking to Christopher. He brings such an interesting perspective kind of from within the literary and publishing world. It's not every day that I get to talk to another books podcaster. It made me feel like I was part of such a wonderful book community in New York City. I hope you love this conversation. I was a little tipsy, so forgive me. This week we're switching things up and I'm so lucky to be in person with Christopher from a podcast I love and respect, So Many Damn Books. So talk to me about A, how your day job and my day job are a little similar in that you're reading all the time, Uh, but when were you in a rut recently and what brought you out of it? Yeah, I feel like the most recent rut that I think we were all in all together was the was at the start of lockdown two years ago. That was a really bad rut. Right? I didn't want to read anything at all. And the way that I got myself out of it was reading what old childhood favorites. I read Cricket in Times Square, which is an absolutely incredible novel that I just absolutely loved as a kid. I believe it won the Newbery Award when it came out. And it's really about just like a cricket who is living in Times Square, as the title says, but he can rub his legs together and make classical music. And he hears classical music and can replicate it with his legs. And so people from all around the world come to see this cricket perform. And he helps this family. In the meantime, also making friends with a cat and a rat. But reading these books, that and The Car by Gary Polson. And I think I reread Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli. And those books, they, they were just the most wonderful reminder of why I even fell in love with reading in the first place. And so that was the biggest, best way to do it was, and I believe it'll work every time, is I'm going to, anytime I feel like I am losing the magic, I can go back to the original magic making and see what, how they did it. And the other way is graphic novels. Mm. I really love to turn to a graphic novel when, because they're easier, they're visual, they might not be dealing with easier topics or anything, but you also feel like if, if, if you're not reading a lot and you're feeling beaten down by reading, 
if you spend just 20 minutes reading a graphic novel, you've read like 50 pages. You know, you feel that you get that like momentum going again. Well, what genre are you drawn to most? So people are sending you books all the time, but when it's just Christopher alone in his <laughs> library room or yeah. at a bookstore, what table do you go to first? I've been thinking about this recently that like I've unfortunately like ruined bookstores for myself because I have, you know, behind you is a book tower that's taller than you are, I think. That's just books that I own but haven't read yet. And it's just, it's an crazy amount. So it's a, it's a lot. I'm turning around and I'm looking at this bookshelf and I'm seeing tarot, plain and simple. Oh, that's a great book. The, the shelf you're looking at, that's nonfiction and inspiration. The tower of books is to the left of it that they're, ah, <laughs> okay. they're just He's very clarifying. precariously stacked. I actually I would say that I'm drawn to both professionally and in regular life drawn to the f- stuff set in the very much contemporary now or the or the near future that's probably the thing that I'm looking for the most both in my reading life and in my professional life I believe that people who are actually trying to figure out the now and, and trying to chart a path through it, it's the most helpful thing, it's the most interesting thing, and it's also just, it seems like the most challenging thing. So many people are shying away from it, sending their books in the 90s so that they don't have to have cell phones or before. <laughs> and I crave to understand the world that we're in right now, and I feel like the best way to do that is to read about it, and so, I'm really looking for the books that are like, this book is talking about like 2019 or something. Those are the ones that I'm really drawn to. And is that fiction? That's fiction. Nonfiction, I'm very much more of like a dilettante. Like I just want to read something that's interesting. Like I love Mary Roach for that, you know, I love the writers that for nonfiction that write the, you think it's like this, but it's really like this. It's my favorite. (laughs) Do you have any obsessions that definitely steer your writing? I mean, you've mentioned wanting to understand the now and the near future. Does that stem from an anxiety about that or an interest? Oh, a deep anxiety. Yeah, I'm, I'm very anxious about how everything's shaking out. So if there's anybody that is also anxious... That's very comforting. If they aren't anxious and they figured out something, I want to know about it, you know? Like, I, I remember reading Hallie Butler's novel, The New Me, and just feeling like, okay, I'm at least dealing with the universe, like, better than, than this main character is. Like, that's very helpful. Is there a novel that is set in the near future that has resonated most with you in the last couple of years? Well, I'm going to maybe break rules. I don't know what, what rules That's are That's what we're here for. And just mention two of my own writer's books. Definitely. Meredith Westgate's The Shimmering State, which really broke open for me memory and technology and how those things are connected and, and also how they affect each other. And then Austin Osworth, A.E. Osworth, We Are Watching Eliza Bright, which is a novel about 
a game designer being targeted for all sorts of harassment by the people that she makes the game for. And Austin's an incredible writer that captured this world amazingly. And through text messages and emails and descriptions of video, like all of that fun text stuff. But it, it really also clarified the idea that, for me, that the online space is not different than the real world, that people like to put up a wall there, but there isn't one. One, as an agent too, when you put on that hat about what the future of publishing is or the appetite for those types of stories, I think it's been proven that there's a huge appetite for them and that we can read about text messages and technology and just integrate it into our reading. What questions do you ask yourself when you're considering a new work or a new writer to take on? The writers that resonate with me make me take my professional hat off. You know, it's the ones that make me forget Hmm. to be trying to fix their book. (laughs) And that goes for reading for fun or reading for work. When it's no longer a Word document and I'm actually in it, that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. And it's the bar to clear is so much higher from it not being a finished thing to be able to do that. So anytime I've actually felt that feeling, I'm like, okay, well, I'm signing this person. Like there's very, very few times that that can really happen when you're just sitting looking at a computer screen. And I, I when I start to talk to those people, I, I, I just want to know what led them to be so interested in the now because so many people really are afraid of it. It's so true. And I think a lot of publishing is based upon people's love of nostalgia. We we were talking about World War II books. I brought one to read and talk to you about, which is so interesting to me. It's kind of like <laughs> a blind spot because it, in a way, plays into that nostalgia. Not that I think, I mean, that book is horrific, but there's something about trying to understand the past as a way to escape the now mm-hmm. that can, I don't know, maybe calming for people. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I just feel like when I truly flip for something, I think I guess I just have to have that sort of agent confidence that I'm right, that I'm I'm amazed because it's amazing and other people will also be amazed. You have to trust. Yeah. How have you honed that skill? I think it's been just years of trying to get people to read books that I, you know, I've been a voracious reader since I was a little kid. And so I learned very, very young that you can't just tell someone to read a book. You have to give them reasons why they personally should read that book. And you have to figure out how to concisely tell them that thing and not just ramble through it. So I think that doing that since I was like six, trying to get other people to read A.A. Milne with me or something, I think I've just been been honing it and honing it that when I met an agent and asked him for a job, he was like, oh, well, yeah, you, you, you do do this, you know? Well, that's the best thing. It's just your inclination anyway. Yeah, that's and now just what I was doing. <laughs> do it for a job. Yeah. But... Do you mind if we turn it towards your own work? Because earlier you mentioned that, you know, 
the reason you might reach out for that right in quote self-help book is to help your own work yes how like how would you describe your relationship with your own writing adversarial no (laughs) (laughs) i i just want to finish writing my book and then i feel like i can have feelings about it my most successful writing project has been this thing called the roving typist where i was typing short stories for people on the spot in front of them and giving them that draft then there and the immediacy it was incredibly important because it added up with performance and you know giving people a moment and all of these other things that the story was like at the bottom of it and didn't even have to be good in my eyes or i hoped that people would see it like that and I am afraid of the sort of when you're writing for an enormous audience. And so I think that's why I have taken so long from the time that I graduated with my MFA to now to still not be done with my first novel is because I really enjoyed that micro writing for just one person who's told me what sort of story they wanted. It, it, it spoiled me in a, in a wonderful way where I could just give the person exactly what they wanted. And now I have to think about what would I want from a book and then make that actually happen in the book to the character. And it just feels silly and impossible. And I have to remember that I've talked to over 100 people that have told me I did it too. <laughs> I mean, you must feel that way too with your with your writing in some way. Yeah, I don't... I. I'm not thinking about writing at the moment at all. Mm. It's a re- very freeing. Mm. I feel like I had an idea in my 20s, but and I was speaking to a, a great writer, Maeve Higgins, last night, and she was saying she's, great. she's so wonderful about she was listening to Elizabeth Gilbert and rereading Big Magic mm-hmm. and saying that and I, ideas leave. And they lose their magic if you don't pin them down. And I feel like I had an idea then and I didn't pin it down. And it actually has gone. And it's okay. I'm not worried about it. (laughs) But I will, the next idea will come and maybe it's illustration or drawing or I'm kind of less concerned with words at the moment and more in like looking up and being in the world a bit. I think because my work is so inward and computer focused yes now i'm like i want to meet some birds and <laughs> learn about leaves yeah i i completely agree with you on looking up and being out and that's the thing that you know that's what always is raging as far as like when you're sitting down and you just have a blank page in front of you you know it's so much better to think like why don't i just get up and go look at some stuff and not be, you know, heading deeper into my own mind where I have to hang out all the time anyway. Maybe my, what I just said is a huge strategy of procrastination and avoidance, (laughs) whereas yours is like getting it done. So don't quote me on that at all. Um, I I, I mean, this, you know, this isn't a writing advice podcast. This is a, this is a reading, reading podcast. And I have to say, I, it's always the thing that may, sends me back to the page is reading something good. You know, whatever it is, some, some, you just read something and it's not even necessarily a novel. It's sometimes just like a crazy line in a news story that you're like, why would someone do that? 
then suddenly your mind's racing. We're mm. coming into summer. Is there one book that you've been looking forward to bringing with you somewhere where you have that moment, you know, whether it's by a lake or a, a pool, something that you've wanted to read for a long time and you're like, this will be the summer to do it. <laughs> I have owned Ada or Ardor by Nabokov for ages, for so long. And I feel like it's probably finally time to, to read that. And I'm also really interested in finally reading. I mean, this, is, this isn't a, like an old project, but I, as soon as I finished The Idiot by Elif Bottomman, I loved it so much and I wanted a sequel. And now the sequels come out, either or. And I, I've owned the, it's one of these books that I've owned and it's on my shelf. And I keep thinking like, not yet, not yet. But I, because I want to take it to the beach, I feel like I don't know how much of a beach read a second year in a Harvard student, Yale, uh, an Ivy League student's life is. I know that's not what people usually bring to the beach, but I'm excited about it because I wanted a sequel as soon as I finished the first one. I feel like you defy expectations anyway, so you can definitely bring that to the beach. Okay, what lights you up? You know what really lights me up recently? is the like excitement that my dog has for when I get home. She's just so excited to see me again. And it's just really nice. I don't know if you're, ta you're probably talking more books. No, I actually am not. <laughs> I think the life lit up is the best one. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And then I also, I've been absolutely loving messing around with music recently like making music again something that i am not good at <laughs> at all but i love to buy little terrible noisemakers of various sizes and sounds and pulling all of them out and trying to make something with all of them hours just melt away i four or five hours absolutely gone with and it was just because i was trying to get like a good sound from something into something else And I love that sort of time slip flow thing. It's a complete, something that I used to only really as associate with reading. Now I can, you know, messing around with a keyboard and a bunch of drum machines is kind of doing that too. They're the best lit up answers I've had. <laughs> time slippage, so many phrases I want to write down myself and capture. Well, that's very nice. I hope, I hope. I don't know. I feel like the Negroni itself is kind of affecting me now, too. Finally. <laughs> we've caught up. come through. Well, thank you so much for being on Lit Up. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I am so glad that this institution exists. Um, I'm glad to be part of it. So great. That's lovely. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Olmer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Radofsky wrote the theme music. See you in two weeks. <laughs>